This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. I'm really excited to bring this episode out. It is packed, filled with great information about medication in pregnancy and postpartum, issues around COVID and perinatal mental health and the COVID vaccines, and most importantly, giving everyone information about psychotropic medications so that they can take steps to make informed decisions for themselves. Our awesome guest is Dr. Sarah Oreck. She's a Columbia University-trained psychiatrist focusing on women's mental wellness. In addition to her expertise in general and addiction psychiatry, she is one of a few doctors with specialized training in reproductive psychiatry. She runs a private practice in which she combines the most up-to-date medical treatments with talk therapy, medication, and a whole-body complementary approach. She is passionate about teaching and regularly lectures at Cedars-Sinai Hospital, UCLA, and the Providence Hospital System, in addition to her media work. She's actively involved in advocacy work and is a member of the Board of Directors of Maternal Mental Health Now in Los Angeles. She's also going to be speaking a little bit about her personal experience of having a pregnancy and baby during COVID, which is what all new pregnant and postpartum folks are dealing with right now. So I know there's parts of this that will be both informative for you and resonate personally. So let's meet Dr. Oreck. Welcome, Dr. Oreck. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk with you and learn about what you do and how you help and support folks in the reproductive period. Can you please start us off with kind of an overview of what is reproductive psychiatry and how do you help people? Absolutely. So reproductive psychiatry is a relatively new field in about the last 20 to 30 years of psychiatry. And it's really because we started to realize in the field of psychiatry and mental health generally that women aren't the same as men. And the reproductive life cycle of people born women really impacts their mental health. And so now we have fellowships throughout the country that's really dedicated to working 
with patients during the perinatal period, so during pregnancy and the postpartum, but also during other times of hormone fluctuations, including perimenopause, as well as sort of general uh, menstrual-related issues like uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So it's really working uh, with patients through from the beginning of menses to the end. Oh, awesome. I just, there are so many people who need that support. And um, it's interesting that you said that, you know, women are different than um, men, because I, I assume what you were alluding to is that a lot of our medical stuff is based on men and men's bodies and men's brains. And, exactly. It uh, really is. A lot of clinical trials are mostly exclusively on men because the reproductive life cycle and reproduction in general and menses throws a wrench in studies is what what sort of researchers <laughs> used to think. And it really is a disservice to a lot of women. And this is a fantastic field. And like you, I'm also sort of subspecialized in pregnancy and postpartum. So really helping patients, and you asked what the scope of our work was, and and I'm trained as a therapist and doing medication management. But a lot of my work, since there's a lot of other people doing therapy, is to really talk about the risk versus risk assessment of taking medications during pregnancy and the postpartum period. And I'm sure we'll get more into the details of that. But it's a really uh, scary decision to make. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really complicated one during pregnancy. And I'm sort of here to navigate that with my patients and their partners. Uh, yeah, I would love to get into that. <laughs> I have a couple of clients in mind right now, actually, who are in this debate themselves. And while it's clear that there are benefits to feeling better with medication, potentially the worry, the anxiety about taking psychotropic medication, but sometimes any medication um, during yes. pregnancy or postpartum, really it adds to the anxiety and uh, sometimes becomes its own thing. So when you say risk versus risk, can you say more about that? Yes, absolutely. And I just want to I think expand a little bit on what you said that yes, I'm going to focus on medications and I'll talk about what I mean by risk versus risk. But I think during pregnancy, there's a hypervigilance over the food that we take in, mm -hmm. um, the type of exercise that we do, right? It's so much sort of getting stuck in those details that can be really anxiety provoking for so many people. Yeah. Um, so it especially, right, if you're confused about whether to eat sushi or deli meat, mm -hmm. like imagine what it is to, to take a medication, um, you know, that can be quite scary, especially because we hear a lot of headlines without getting the full extent of the information. So what yeah. I mean by risk versus risk when I talk to patients about this is that untreated mental health issues during pregnancy and the postpartum are in and of themselves risks. And I think sometimes we forget that and we just think about like, oh, what are the side effects of my SSRI or what could happen to my fetus if I'm taking an SSRI? But what we forget is that in the absence of that SSRI, serotonin reuptake inhibitor medications that are the most common frontline medications for anxiety and depression, we can have people that are experiencing severe anxiety or depression, which we are starting to have more data about actually can impact our unborn child 
as well as our own mental health um, during pregnancy and in the postpartum. So we weigh the risks of what, what happens when you're not on medications versus the known risks of whatever medication. And I'm talking about uh, SSRIs, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, just because they're one of the most common medications. Mm -hmm. But I treat all sorts of mental health issues throughout pregnancy and the postpartum, including bipolar disorder, anxiety disorders, addiction. And actually, you know, this is a question that we're going to start to pose about the vaccinations for COVID-19. So we really have to weigh risk versus risk. We're used to hearing risk versus benefit. Um, But I think it's important to understand that without the medications, we also face some risks. Yeah, absolutely. When you say risk to the unborn child, I sort of hear, you know, people listening like, oh my gosh, my depression and anxiety is hurting my child. And then that having its own, (laughs) its own repercussion. Uh, You know, how do you talk to people about that, that the depression and anxiety carries a risk without kind of freaking them out? Or making them feel a lot of guilt, I think, is what what we work with so much. I think you you know. But and and I think this is I want to just kind of zoom out a little bit because we're talking about medications already. But for mild to moderate anxiety and depression, often lifestyle changes, good psychotherapy can be enough to get us through. Mm-hmm. Indication for medications is a different conversation. And when I talk about risk risk, it's it's someone who has already exhausted some of those, what I call sort of frontline defenses mm-hmm. uh, for their anxiety and depression, and then are talking about medications. But, you know, I, I also agree that we don't want people to feel alarmed or guilt-ridden about mm-hmm. their own mental health issues, but simply that it's important to check in with a professional to see what the best treatment plan is for them. And there are some increased data about this, about having untreated mental health issues. And what we're starting to see is, of course, there's going to be a genetic risk if you yourself have some kind of mental health issue for your unborn children. But we need more sort of small for gestational size. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see that there are some of those hormones that are going to go into through the placenta that could affect brain development. And what I mean is that the fear about medications or psychotherapy shouldn't sort of um, be a barrier to getting the treatment that you need because we know when mom is well and when the birthing parent is well, you're going to have better outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for shedding a little bit more light on that. It's such a touchy subject and such a hot button issue. So just bringing these bits of clarity I think can really help people to even, you know, even who are listening now who might be considering medication to help them understand that it's not, you know, you're not a scary person. Like you're going right. to be helping them figure this out and you're working as a team. And I think what's important because often because this is my specialty, I think people assume that I want everyone to be on medications, mm. but it is such a personalized and unique decision that it's important just for us to respect everyone's autonomy making it. Mm. Uh, but also, sometimes I have people come to me and I'm like, I actually don't think you need to be on medications. Let's try these other alternatives before going to that. So it is a very unique 
personalized decision. This does not mean that I think everyone should be on medications or not on medications. It's just that each of us has to make that decision for our own. But I think we need to work on this stigma around medications, especially during pregnancy. And I'm sure that you've seen some of that, the people who have been stably on a very simple medication for, you know, most of their adult life and are in therapy and have been thriving, all of a sudden become very ambivalent and confused about continuing it, even, even though all, all signs are pointing to this has been helpful for, for you in the past. We know that the risks are not as, so the, when we weigh the risks of the medications versus the risk of untreated illness, that we're on the side of continuing the medication, it's still difficult. Yeah. Yeah. That just made me think of a couple of clients again. I mean, it's so hard because sometimes when people become pregnant and they go to their OB or, you know, happen to, to be talking to a primary care, some physicians or medical providers who maybe don't have current knowledge, we'll just tell them to stop their medication. Yes. And then they're in therapy and like just hardly functioning, um, but are so afraid of taking a medication. And I'm like, okay, well, you're not, you're not doing so great right now. Right. Right. And, and I think a part of us wants to listen to our doctor and care so much about and just imagine that, you know, they know it all. How could yeah. they, they told me to get off of this. So of course I have to follow this. And this is a lot of the work that I do is actually educating other physicians mm. about safety of medications, actually serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So SSRIs are some of the most well-studied medications of all in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. The difficulty, as we were talking about more men being in clinical studies, is that for a long time, we've been very hesitant to include women that are pregnant in studies because of uh, the ethical concerns of a fetus being a non-consenting participant um, and, and sort of the variables that pregnancy brings into the picture. But mm-hmm. what's happened is that we actually don't have that much data about any medication in pregnancy. Mm. I mean, you know, for blood pressure, for, for diabetes, for anything. So what we are look on in terms of for pregnancy is retrospective studies. And so this gets a little bit technical, but it basically means that we have to look at databases that keep a lot of information about their patients in terms, a lot of Scandinavian countries, of course, have socialized medical systems where this Uh is easy to do, but we have, you know, pregnant patient A who took a specific medication during pregnancy, let's sort of look at her medical chart and see what happened. But we have the most amount of data of this type for these serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which is very reassuring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of physicians who went to medical school, perhaps maybe a decade or so longer, long ago, or just haven't been keeping up with the mental health literature, will say, let's decrease your dose or stop it immediately without thinking about this risk versus risk assessment and mm-hmm. without even asking their patients, what do you take this for? How does it help you? And so what I end up doing is having to sort of combat this, reverse some of this Mm -hmm. information for my patients and really empower them to say, actually, you know, I talked to someone who is an expert in this field and we've agreed that it's the best idea for me to take on this medication. But I can't tell you how many times I have to negotiate these sorts of dynamics 
And it's really unfortunate that that a lot of physicians aren't keeping up with the mental health literature. It really is. And I understand. I mean, there's so many polls on people's capacity. uh, Yes. And one of which is limited time, even with limited time with each patient, yes. uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes, uh, what are yes. you going to get into during that time? Right. Exactly. Stuff? It, and I think a lot of primary care doctors are very, uh, aren't well trained in mental health and sure. sort of don't want to go there. They're like, what do I do if my patient starts crying? Right? Like, yeah. it, we, we don't get the, the sufficient training in medical school, unfortunately, to to handle that. And you have some physicians that are more empathic than others. Mm -hmm. But you know, what's scary about that cat is that most primary care doctors are the ones treating uh, Mm -hmm. very basic depression and anxiety. So sometimes, you know, people don't ever see a psychiatrist in their lives and can have their medication management uh, by their primary care physicians. But sometimes, you know, during pregnancy, it's the first time a lot of people have seen a psychiatrist like me, because they end up feeling really badly if they they've stopped a medication and and want more data and i'm actually getting a lot of patients who are doing this proactively which is really wonderful when they when they're planning a pregnancy to say okay what's going to happen to what i'm currently taking should i continue it how do i make this decision uh, right and and f- i think for a lot of people as maybe you were saying before it's like a, a decision a decision between something that's scary and something that's scary or, you know, worrisome on both sides. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras' Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. So I imagine with all the conversations that you are having on behalf either of your clients or other other patients, um, in 
either, um, I guess, obstetric settings or primary care settings, you're, you're either talking to those providers yourself or somehow helping the, the patients to talk to their doctors? Yes. So it's a combination of the two. Sometimes I have a direct line and I really like that. OBs are particularly busy, so it's hard to get a hold of them. Mm -hmm. But I've fostered some great relationships. And I also uh, work through the Providence Health System to actually train obstetricians and gynecologists about the newest evidence in pregnancy and the postpartum so they can be armed. I still think that they're, you know, they feel a little bit intimidated about making these decisions, but at least they're, they're getting the newest information and doing exactly this sort of risk versus risk assessment that I do every day with my patients. Right. Well, I I know for you in particular, I, I think you are so especially needed because you speak two languages and you're able to advocate for just that many more people. In terms of your, your individual clients and, you know, the people that you support, being able to speak Spanish to other providers or to patients who need your help, how have you seen that benefit of being able to communicate in a native language with somebody? Oh, yeah. So I grew up, my, both of my parents are Colombian, so I strongly identify as Latinx. And I grew up really with a lot of stigma around mental health. Mm-hmm. I was really scared to tell my mom initially that I was most interested in psychiatry in <laughs> medical school, because I just thought, oh, man, what are they going to think? We are not, you know, I think there are some struggles with mental health issues, but Growing up, I've actually seen a change in my own mother in how she used to talk about mental health as like, I mean, maybe even as a teenager, just being like, you know, you just have to get, you have to be strong and you have to get over it. And this is all mental, you know, when I was down or anxious about something at school to Mm -hmm. sort of a 180 where she's Mm -hmm. really become more educated about mental health issues and she went on this journey and in some ways she, she thinks of herself as a mental health expert just from like the experience she's had with me. But I think she initially was a little apprehensive that I had chosen this and that this was what I liked the most in medical school. But Mm. I think ended up, you know, changing some of her belief system around mental health. And so that immediately to me was a signal of like, uh, this can happen. And I know for Latin people, it's still something that's very difficult. And throughout medical school, and especially during residency, I trained at Columbia. And so in the Washington Heights area, that's uh, predominantly Dominican and Puerto Rican, it was really fantastic to be able to connect with those patients in a way that I think my co-residents had some difficulty with. But I know that this particular community does have, I think, even more barriers to mental health care. So I have really tried to focus in on that both in my individual practice where I get to see some, some patients in their monolingual in their, you know, if they're monolingual Spanish speakers or bilingual speakers that are just more comfortable in Spanish. Mm -hmm. Spanish is my first language. And so it is something I feel very comfortable with. And then Of course, through my social media work, I've really been able to grow quite an audience in Spanish. And I know that there's such a hunger and thirst for that information. And it's been really exciting to be able to share a lot. And I get messages from, you know, people in South America that say this reproductive psychiatry doesn't exist here. How Mm -hmm. can I connect to mental health? 
health experts. So I think people are really hungry for the information. And once they get it, I think it really feels empowering because the myths that were told around motherhood, especially in the Latin community, is very much of mother as martyr and of making all of the sacrifices um, without and sometimes not sort of focusing on, you know, the mother and, and what her needs are. And so it's been really exciting to be able to, to sort of help my own community in that way. Oh, that's fantastic. I, yeah, I imagine that the need is, is great. Um, and being able to provide that information, specifically on social media, I think where it's really, you know, it's relatively brief, it's easy to absorb, um, and it's, you know, good to, to see both well, certainly in yeah. Spanish as well. And I think you might have this experience as well, but I feel like a lot of the work I do with my individual patients is on education. And yes, yeah. yeah. yeah, some of it is personalized to that patient. And it will, you know, I, I want to be really clear that our social media podcasts are wonderful education outlets, but they're mm -hmm. not the equivalent of seeing a physician. But I do right. think it's sort of the opener mm -hmm. of getting like you can do a lot of this work on your own. And, and let's say yes, in the middle of the country somewhere, there might not be the hyper specialization there are in big cities. So you might not be able to encounter a reproductive psychiatrist. But if you're armed with this knowledge, you know, I think people are intimidated by this, but sometimes you can teach your physicians or yeah. you can share this with your therapist and say, hey, I've, I've heard about this. You know, have you heard about this too? Or can you tell me a little bit more about this? So I almost feel like it, we are doing some of the work or we can get some movement, even yeah. if there aren't specialized people in, in, you know, in their specific areas. Oh, absolutely. I definitely agree. I mean, I've, uh, having, uh, you know, I'm sure you know from sitting in so many amazing courses and conferences and whatnot, you know, we in the field get to hear all of this stuff and get that education. And I think like what you're doing and by putting it out in Spanish and in English and, and reaching out, it really is like an extension. It's an, it's an arm out so that people can have that information, know that it's a thing and that it's available because certainly if they don't know you exist, how do they know to get help from you um, right. or this kind of help in particular. Right. And the same with this podcast, right? You're reaching so many more people than I think you probably have the bandwidth or the space to in your <laughs> private practice. So yeah. it's really exciting to be able to do that. That's great. So I, I think we should have you back to do an episode in Spanish um, about all of this information too um, at, at a later date. So I would love that. Yeah, let's do that. Um, so you, you were talking a little bit about COVID earlier. And now that we've been in this for, you know, close to a year globally, a lot came up in terms of um, COVID and pregnancy and postpartum and now the vaccine and, and all of that stuff. Um, would you mind sharing what you've seen on your end around COVID? Yeah, so, uh, you know, just anecdotally in my own practice, and then we're, we have some early research that is also backing this up, but there are an increase in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So that simply means during pregnancy and the postpartum, we're seeing an increase in numbers, at least here in the US. And I, I really do think it's going to extend out into the world. This has been 
such a collective trauma that we've experienced. And especially during times where we, you know, I think what we say most to our patients, you can attest to this is like support, 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 Mm -hmm. get your support systems aligned, have your people, you know, come meet, meet the baby, take time with the baby, bring you food. And that's all been changed and upended. And so I think just talking about like, even on that basic level, right, let's not even talk about how scary it is to go to OB appointments, Mm -hmm. how scary it is right now, right, almost unimaginable to deliver in a hospital in Los Angeles, where COVID patients are spilling out of the ER, basically. Uh, You know, it's a really, aside from that, right, if you just think about the support systems, or who would have helped you or how you would have been able to manage, it's really, I think, changed what the what pregnancy and the postpartum looks like for a lot of people. And I do think that it contributes to a lot of anxiety and mood symptoms. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's, um, I mean, the demand just in my own practice that I've, I've seen for and the need is unlike anything I've experienced Mm -hmm. before. You know, people who maybe uh, were able to to kind of cope and manage with with some things just it's so much harder now the stress is yes. is really hard to measure it's just yes. so felt and um yeah that the need is great for, and we focus on the perinatal uh population right. but you know i think this is the the next wave right of the pandemic is going to be the mental health impacts on everyone from yeah. healthcare workers to people that have been isolated for nearly a year now and not seeing you know their friends and family yeah yeah it's it's hard to know how it's all gonna play out over time but certainly it sounds like you are seeing it yes some of the direct effects they are both in in your private practice but also you're affiliated with um, hospitals Yes, and certainly friends that are still working in hospitals, Mm -hmm. I think have been very impacted. And and I think as a society, we will be just thinking about, you know, the mortality rates and and the way that people have been dying alone without their family is just, you know, devastating. Right. And and an already um, anxiety producing transition in your life for pregnancy and postpartum now having to deal with Oh, the uh, the impacts and pressure of COVID also and, yes. and not having all of that. And I know that you recently had a baby and I so did. congratulations yeah. yeah, in the middle of all of this COVID business. So what was that like? It was, you know, it's my first pregnancy. And so I don't have much to compare it to, except that I work with this population day in <laughs> and day out for right. a long time now. But it was very strange. It was strange to not share it in some ways with my patients who who know so much about me in some ways. And just seeing, you know, my head on the screen uh, (laughs) wasn't really an indication that I was pregnant. But similarly, just with my friends and family, you know, I felt like I was pregnant in secret, which was Mm. very bizarre. But also, I think, you know, there was so much going on in terms of loss. And I think it was really hard for me to be able to display it and enjoy it as much just because I was thinking, you know, there's so much financial hardship, there's so much like, grief of, for loss of life that I think I was conflicted with those feelings of being really excited about my baby. But yeah. in some ways, I think, you know, ambivalent about sharing it and also 
my, I, I myself was very anxious about going to my doctor's office, yeah. imagining, you know, whether they were staying safe, what the hospital delivery would be like. It's right. been really challenging. I was lucky enough to deliver in September where things weren't, hadn't taken off so much in uh -huh. Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, but these last couple months have been really challenging in terms of the uptick. But even thinking about, you know, what it's like to have had close family members deliver and people waiting in the waiting room and gonna, they're going to meet the baby. And it, it was just so different. I mean, right. you know, and seeing everyone in masks, for example, and only yeah. having my husband there, it was, it's very strange. Right. So you don't even, you know, get to share your, your baby if that's right. what you wanted to do. Yeah, you know, exactly. Right away. And it is, it is absolutely. And so I, you know, I joke that the only people that have really seen my baby is my mom is staying with us and helping me, my husband and his pediatrician. Oh, yeah. I know so many people can identify with that. Oh, it's. And that is really, real. it's, it, yeah. And it's a real sadness and a loss. I, yeah, I'm so glad you said that. Not not glad that that's happening, but you're 100% right. It's just, I, this is not certainly the pregnancy or postpartum that anybody has wanted. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of grief around this, uh, for sure. Um, thank but you. it's interesting because I don't know if you've noticed this, and maybe it's just because there is an uptick in mental health concerns. So I'm also seeing it just a lot new, a lot of new patients, but I think there's an uptick in pregnancies yeah. since COVID. And so yeah. I just sort of think, you know, in some ways it, it's sort of the reframe of like, we have to stay at home and, and isolate and, and it's sort of like the ultimate nesting. Mm -hmm. So I suppose there are different ways that you can think about it. I, you know, I usually work out of my office that's a 10 minute drive, but nevertheless, it's not in my home. Right. So this is different. I, w I do get to see my child, my husband who travels back and forth uh, to New York isn't doing that. And so he's able oh, right. to spend more time with our baby. So there are I think there's ways to reframe everything that's important for us to continue to to think about because, you know, the fact that my baby hasn't met his other set of grandparents, you know, is really devastating yeah. to think about. So we work on 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 those positive reframes. Right. And it's it's so hard to do because you're also having to navigate a brand new situation. It's not like you can think back like, oh, well, the last time I was in a pandemic, this is what we did. Um, right. Exactly. There is none of that. It's it's so much thinking and planning and it's just hard to I, you know, to have things come easy. Um, and given that still trying to be flexible and have the best experience possible is, is still the goal across the board. Yeah, but it's been hard because it's already isolating. And yeah. I know I personally feel very isolated. Yeah. I'm, you know, and, and in some ways, I feel extremely privileged that I'm able to continue to work remotely and not have to go into a hospital or a clinic right now. But I still think it's taxing to not see anyone for a long time. Yeah, it absolutely is. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. 
On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you you listen to your podcasts. All right. So speaking of COVID and how we're all coping with it, all of these vaccines uh, or these two vaccines now have come out and there's a lot of concern uh, in the perinatal community, pregnant and postpartum folks about what to do and is, is it okay? So can you shed some light on that for us? Yes, of course. So it's important to note that these are emergency use authorization medic vaccinations. And so the research, of course, was not done on pregnant women because of what we talked about. Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that more research will include pregnant and breastfeeding people because it's so important for us to get those data points. We know, though, during these trials that people did become pregnant. So there was a big myth going around the internet. And it was because there's a protein in uh, the placenta that's similar to the spike protein. So there was some concern that these antibodies that we would produce once we got the vaccine would somehow um, attack this placental uh, protein, which is not the same. That's been pretty much debunked. But it is, it is frightening to not have as much evidence as we would like in, the, in these populations. So of course, you know, it's a very personal decision, but I think we also have to weigh that we need a certain amount of herd immunity in order for us to ever get back to some kind of normal. And then, you know, I think when thinking about this, we know that the some of the biggest sort of organizations in the United States, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, for example, have decided that this vaccine can be taken by pregnant or breastfeeding people, but it ultimately has to be their decision, one that's made with their physician. I'm very much in line with that, but I think people are so focused on what the side effects of a vaccine may be, yeah. instead of focusing on the holistic picture, which is like, it's not a risk of just 
the vaccine side effects, it's the risk of getting COVID. Mm-hmm. Even though pregnant women, we know generally it doesn't pass the placenta to the fetus, but we know that when pregnant people do get COVID, they can have more severe illness that requires ventilation and ICU, as well as some risk for preterm birth with COVID illness. Mm -hmm. So again, I think it's important for people to view this just like we talked about the medications. It's the risk of the illness versus the risk of the treatment. We can't Mm -hmm. just sort of focus on the potential risks of the treatment without looking at the risks of the, you know, of the illness itself. And I think if you're an essential worker, if you're a frontline worker, if you're working in an ICU and you're pregnant, you know, that's going to be a really difficult and you're constantly exposed to COVID-19. I do think it's, it's something to strongly consider to be vaccinated. And it's been really wonderful to see examples of people in the field and healthcare workers who are pregnant and breastfeeding, you know, taking that risk. I'm just thinking about the people who I've heard from that are worried. It's, it's, even though COVID is new and scary, for some people, it's like, well, I don't know what the vaccine's going to do. I do know what COVID's going to do uh, to some extent, not like you can predict its outcome on you right. in particular. But I, I do hear this argument kind of in general, like it's not the devil, you know, because that's, that's not a good analogy. I totally understand. And people then sort of turn around the fact that it doesn't get transmitted and that generally we don't have terrible outcomes in pregnancy, even though we've had around 60 pregnant patients die in the US Mm. um, from COVID-19, which to me feels like too many. I mean, I think someone said, well, it's only 60. I was like, that's like one is too many, period. Um, So I think where that goes and and what I really emphasize is to please get evidence-based information, get educated about what technologies these vaccines actually use because Mm -hmm. they're not live vaccines. You don't get the illness from from getting it. And, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've started to go to basic biology with some of my patients. I'm like, I remember, I know you, you took high school biology. <laughs> Where mm-hmm. is your DNA? It's in the nucleus. Mm-hmm. This vaccine's mRNA does not get into the, your nucleus. It does not change your DNA in any way. And from what we know, and sort of the mechanism, there is nothing that indicates that it's going to cause any fetal malformations or any concerns in that way. But of course, we're still monitoring those pregnancies. Mm -hmm. And if you can stay at home and shelter in place and not see people and not be at risk, then potentially your risk of getting COVID is very low. And and you you potentially can sort of go without the vaccine for a, a while until more data is known. So it's not to push people into any particular outcome, but it's just to sort of get informed about the decision making. Similarly, Mm -hmm. I think with all of our psychotropic medications, to not be fooled by just focusing on the side effects or potential issues that the medications might have for the fetus, but also with what untreated illness looks like for your life. So I just think about some of my patients who are diagnosed with bipolar one disorder, Mm -hmm. that could mean a depression where they feel suicidal or need a hospitalization or a manic episode where they, you know, do things that are totally outside of what they would do, take more risk behaviors that could really impact their entire life. So it's something to be really cautious about in terms of making these decisions. Right, which is more 
essentially which is the safest choice, not which one is safe. Right. Exactly. Uh, um, uh, that's really, really, really tough just across the board because, and maybe this you feel this way too. And, and from my seat, I see so much benefit for so many people. And again, I'm with you if it's mild to moderate. I, I'm not referring them out for medication evaluation unless that's what they're requesting. So yeah, from my side, I see so much benefit when clients do take medication. And oftentimes they're like, oh my gosh, I can actually think now. Oh, I can, you know, in, in when when they're in the, the the intensity of depression or anxiety, it's hard to imagine that you could feel better. And then when you feel better, specifically I'm talking about people who have started medication and feel the relief, they're like, oh my gosh, why didn't I do this sooner? you know, and have this, uh, have, have to kind of reconcile about how much they were suffering. It's so hard to know until you're not. Absolutely. And I see it as I'm sure you do, or just we, we advance so much in our therapy work. And, you know, I like to think of medication as just another tool in the toolbox. I'm very yeah. clear with people that I, I don't think it's the only thing that makes people feel better. Right. Because sometimes in the absence of therapy, it's sometimes not enough. Yeah. Um, but in combination with those lifestyle choices, with sleep, with good therapy, it can really bring things together. And I agree. I think a lot of people with, you know, and, and I'm really talking here about the mild to moderate anxiety or mm -hmm. depression can certainly go through life and are resilient enough, intelligent enough to sort of bear it. But I say like, what's, so it's the difference between sort of having five pound weights in a pool versus like just taking those off with medications yeah. and just being able to like swim normally. Right. But, you know, right. a lot of people think, well, I can get through it, but it, it's so hard. Right. Why, yeah. why let it be so difficult because of the stigmas that we have? And this is mm -hmm. so basic. I'm sure you've heard this before, but sometimes just circling back to like, if you had diabetes, and I told you, why don't you just skip your insulin, like focus on diet and exercise, forget it. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, you, you think I was crazy, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I just think we conceptualize psychotropic medications in such a different way. I think we understand the medical indication for when someone has high blood pressure to give them a blood pressure medication, mm -hmm. right? That just a low salt diet sometimes is not enough. Mm -hmm. um, and we're so careful and cautious to sort of um, emphasize the importance of those. But, you know, I, I often think people take their psychiatric medications for granted. And, and mm -hmm. a lot of even physicians outside of psychiatry are like, Oh, well, maybe you can do without it. And it's like, actually, this has made my life functional, or like, this is mm -hmm. the first time in my life that I feel good. So for some reason, they're conceptualized as optional, when for a lot of people, they're really life saving and improve their quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for bringing in all of those points. I mean, it is, it is like both you and I are saying medication isn't the only thing, and that's not all that we're suggesting at all. But, but man, when it works, it works, and the 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 benefits that it brings is just uh, really great. So, what you're saying is, is there's hope <laughs> um, that there is that hope. people can feel better. How how can you tell us what you've seen in terms of people feeling better? Yeah, so what I've um, seen, certainly getting connected with the right treatment team, I've really seen people 
that I've been able to treat personally in my practice, be able to sort of turn around their mood or anxiety issues and have a much better postpartum period, or be able to advocate for themselves. And then the other thing that I'm seeing, which makes me so hopeful, is social media accounts that are more reflective of the realities of pregnancy and the postpartum not just, you know, all those like really lavish gender reveal (laughs) parties Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and seemingly like perfect postpartum bodies, but like some of more of the raw reality, I think is really helpful in building community. I Mm -hmm. also, you know, through Postpartum Support International, a lot of different organizations, finding that there's a lot of free support groups or low-cost support groups um, that are accessible to people throughout the country, which has been the exciting innovation, I think, Mm -hmm. from COVID-19, unfortunately, that we've had to do so much virtually. But I am seeing that these communities are sort of growing across the country and across the world, and that is really exciting. Yeah, I yeah, I totally agree with you. We've we've really had to pivot and change how care is accessed and it's expanded I think people and organizations ideas of what they can offer virtually and that it does benefit people. It's Oh, absolutely. Um, it's really nice to see. Yeah. And I'm sure you've had this experience, but I know that even before COVID, I was starting to play around with some virtual visits, which were really helpful to my new moms who are like, there's no way I can bring a two week old, like all of the gear, get (laughs) in the car, get in the right, get get to your office. And Mm -hmm. so we had already been trying that. And I think there's a lot of skepticism about how helpful it could be. But I do see really high quality therapy and treatment group based or individual based Mm -hmm. online, which is really exciting. Absolutely, it is. Well, Dr. Oreck, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom with us. And I know this is just a little bit of all that you have in your big brain to, and all of the, the stuff that you've learned along the way. I really want everyone to go and find you on social media and online. Everybody go find her. It's sarahorekmd.com on Facebook and Instagram as well. I am looking forward, Dr. Oreck, to having you back on so we can have an episode in Spanish. And you That's can talk so about exciting. all of this awesomeness for some of our other listeners as well. So um, thank you so much for your time and being with us. And thank you so much for everything you do and for this wonderful podcast that gets so much education out about this wonderful field that we're in. Awesome. I'm glad to, to be in the field with you. So much good information in this episode. And there's still so much to know. Reproductive psychiatry is a field in and of its own. And hopefully with more and more providers being adequately trained in reproductive psychiatry, as well as all medical providers in general, people can be more aware that this is an option for them. I thank Dr. Oreck for really taking the stigma out of medication and explaining it all to us in a way that's down to earth and we can really absorb and understand because ultimately that's what we all need in order to make a decision. We need the information. So I'm really glad you guys stuck around for this and I hope you learned something for yourself. And please do share this episode with anybody who you think could benefit. We all have a hand in reducing the stigma around perinatal mental health and the use of medications. And just by being here and listening today, you have done that. If you're new to the podcast, please do subscribe so you can get all of the episodes downloaded directly to you when they become available. And as usual, I thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.